in our look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we've moved out of uh, the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer. Now remember, after the Disciples' Prayer, Jesus talks about fasting, um, but I covered that a long time ago. And I said, when I get to this point, I'm going to tell you that I covered this already, and Jesus is going to talk about fasting again in the Gospel of Matthew. So we'll get there eventually with fasting again. So today we're going to look at affection redirection. Our affections control our actions. Uh, It's been said that misplaced affections is the root of sin. And Jesus knows that if our affections aren't in the right place, then we won't follow him as we ought to follow him. Well, I don't often preach on the topic of giving and money, but today we'll be talking a little bit about that. Uh, And and two books, I mean, it was so hard for me as I was looking at this passage not to think in terms of Randy Alcorn and his uh, book, The Treasure Principle and Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And so, uh, shamelessly borrowing from that, I have a couple quotes in here from Randy Alcorn. There's probably stuff in here that I didn't actually give him the credit I should have, but just know that I shamelessly borrowed from him uh, in my look at the concept of giving today. Two books worth your while. Both of them you can get on Kindle. So as Jesus leads us through the Sermon on the Mount, he is taking us to a point now where he wants to make this statement. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As we seek to live as followers of Jesus Christ in a sin-cursed world, there's an issue of trust. We have to trust our Father in heaven to take care of our needs. Jesus is beginning to teach us about faith and trust in our Father in heaven, the one that he's just taught us to pray to. Lord, give us today. Give us this day our daily bread. And then as we pray that, believe that he's going to do that. And as we give generously with the resources that God gives us, then we're trusting in God to take care of our needs. As we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness He will take care of all that we need. So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 19 through 24. Very familiar passage to most of you. Let's see what we can learn this morning from this passage. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or mammon or possessions or the things of this world. You cannot serve both of them. Let's pray and see what God would have us to learn this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture. Lord, we thank you so much for the way that you teach us so faithfully. Lord, we want to be good students of the Word. We want to be good followers of Jesus Christ. We want to honor you with our lives. And Lord, this issue of money and possessions is, is a tough one. We become insecure. Uh, We uh, begin to trust in what we can see and touch and not in you, our Heavenly Father who loves us dearly. 
So Father, please build up our faith. Teach us to trust You this morning. I pray that we would have an eternal perspective, that we would invest in eternity, and that our devotion would be that of Christ alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one commentator says this, as we transition to this portion of Matthew, that Jesus is trying to give us a right perspective of the kingdom. How you live will be determined by your perspective on the kingdom. Let me say that again. How you live will be determined by your perspective of the kingdom. He's just taught us to shun hypocrisy, right? That all this you know, fancy praying and showing people how much you're giving and fasting and letting everybody know this, this outward Christianity that looks good but it's empty. He's saying, no, your life needs to be lived with the right perspective, and that will make you a sincere follower of Christ. D.A. Carson says this, followers of Jesus not only shun hypocrisy and religious duty, but more positively, they comprehend that all of life is to be lived and all its attitudes are to be formed according to the perspectives of the kingdom. So let's talk about that kingdom and let's get a right eternal perspective so that we follow Christ the way that we should follow him. So as we look at this passage, I'm going to go to the middle section first where he talks about the eye being the lamp of the body so that we can have that right perspective and then we invest wisely and then we're devoted as we should be devoted. So we're going to look at verses 22 and 23 first. And as we look at these two verses, we'll see that a right perspective on eternity will lead us to wise investment of our resources. A right perspective on eternity will lead us to a wise investment of our resources. Right there in verse 22, he says this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Your eyes are healthy, if they are, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? So what is he saying about this eye being the lamp of the body? I had this picture of this person with one eye, you know, and this lamp. You know, how, how, do, you, how do you view this? What do, we, what do we know about this, or what can we learn from this? When Jesus talks about the eye, he says the eye is the lamp of the body in the sense that it enables the body to find its way. Your eye must be good in order for it to direct your whole body toward that which is good. Now we're going to look at a little bit more about what this eye means in a second. So you have this eye and it receives light. And if your eye is receiving the right light, the way it should receive that light, then everything about your body, your whole life will be healthy. And that word healthy is important because the word healthy, as it's given to us really, and I think the King James may touch on this, it means singleness of purpose undivided loyalty, an undivided heart. If your perspective is undivided, then your life will be what Christ wants it to be, right? If the light or the truth, right? And we have to understand light as being truth given to us from God. When we look at the scriptures, light can represent many things, but most often it represents truth given to us by God. If the light or the truth you take in is from God, then your perspective on life will be good with singleness of purpose and devotion toward what is right. So you want your eye to be healthy. So how is it that you can have a healthy eye? That's the question I have. How do you get a healthy eye so that you have singleness of purpose and a healthy life? Well, 
Very simply, you get your life from Jesus, right? You thought it was going to be some really cryptic, deep answer. It is deep, okay, but it's not cryptic. Get your light from Jesus. One way that uh, commentators, and I saw this several places, try to explain this concept of the light and the body and the darkness and the light coming on the darkness is picture a room. I want you to picture a room, and there's only one window in that room. And the only light that will ever come into that room, there's no light bulbs or lamps, the only light that will ever come into that room is from that single window. And so if your light is directed, if your window is directed the wrong way, you're not going to get much light in it. Like at my house, we have some windows that face the house next door. There's some light that comes in, but it's not that great. On the back side of my house, we have some windows that face the south side. So we get light kind of all day long coming through there. Right? So depending upon which direction that light, that window is facing, it'll determine how much light comes in. And if we've cleaned that window recently, right, it'll determine how much light has come in, or if that window is cracked, etc., the quality of, of the, the window there as well. But P- Jesus is telling us, get your light from me. I am the source of truth. Right? John says this about Jesus. He says, true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And when Jesus came into the world, he revealed the truth about God to everyone who would listen. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious. And he, he gave it to everybody, but not everybody received it, right? Because some people love the darkness. And later on in his ministry, Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So we want our window to be directed towards the sun. S-O-N, to maximize the light that comes in. Because as our window is directed towards the sun, we get the right perspective. And our whole body, our whole life is healthy. As we read, understand, and obey the words of Jesus, we are filled with light. And his perspective on life becomes our perspective on life. Right? We want Jesus' perspective on this life and eternity. But Jesus contrasts it <clears throat> to uh, an eye that's not good. There is a room that's dark because the eye is not good. The eye is not turned towards the sun. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 23, he says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If all the light you get is the light, that's, is the, is the light that comes from the world, not the sun, but the world, then your life is full of darkness, your perspective is not good. And Paul, in, in writing to the church at Ephesus, talks about that perspective. He says, don't live like the Gentiles. Don't live like those who are in the darkness. Don't live like those who choose the darkness. Don't, listen to me, don't get your perspective on life from those who are in the darkness. And how easy is it to do that going through social media and looking at the influencers and focusing on politics all the time? I mean, it's darkness. And if that's where you're deriving your perspective, then you will have futile thinking, right? He says, don't be like the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. They are what? Darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And ignorance is not having knowledge. 
If the eye of the body is not directed towards the light, the truth of Jesus Christ, you know, you're, you're ignorant. I mean, sometimes people willfully reject, but oftentimes it's just plain old ignorance. And they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them due to the, what? The hardening of their hearts. Again, do not let your perspective be shaped by the darkness of this passing world. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us now. Your perspective is not to be derived from those who hate God. Those who are living in darkness are separated from the life of God. No, it's to be derived from me, from Jesus. Rather, gain and maintain a perspective shaped by the Word of God. How do you get Jesus' perspective on this life and eternity? The Word of God. I sound like a broken record, don't I? I can't help it. I just got to keep playing the same song because that is the truth. So we want a Jesus eternal kingdom perspective. That's what we want. If we're going to seek first his kingdom, we have to have the right perspective of his kingdom. Our mind has to be set on the things above. And that begins by realizing that you're no longer in the kingdom of the world. You're in a different kingdom. I've probably gone to this verse every message over the past four or five weeks. The moment you come to Christ, you are immediately transformed into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. So you should have a different perspective on eternity, right? And the moment you come to faith in Christ, you're a citizen of a whole different realm. Paul says to the church at Philippi, their mind, talking about unbelievers, is set on earthly things. That's the perspective of the world, those in darkness. But our citizenship is in heaven. We have an eternal perspective. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to have an eternal perspective, we have to daily remind ourselves that I have been raised with Christ. I am no longer in darkness and in sin, so I need to set my heart on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. We must have an earthly perspective, an eternal perspective, and that can only come from Christ. So if we are to obey Him, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, we have to have that eternal perspective. So as we gain that eternal perspective, we will invest our earthly resources in a manner that increases our eternal kingdom blessing and joy. Jesus wants to bless you, not only now, but into eternity. He wants you to experience joy that you've never imagined or could ever imagine. He wants to increase your blessing in heaven. And he says you can do that now by having the right perspective and living according to that perspective according to that kingdom perspective. So again, the first point, a right perspective on eternity will lead us to right, a wise investment of our resources. So let's look at this kingdom investment. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants to invest not in the here and now, but he wants us to invest into eternity. Now, at the onset, he's not saying don't put money into your 401k. He's not saying don't be a good steward of resources so that you can provide for your family into the future. He's not saying that. He's not saying you can't have land or wealth. He's saying, I want you to have the eternal perspective that if you are generous with your resources, you are paying it forward. You are sending it ahead, as Randy Alcorn says. 
We invest in the coming kingdom by giving generously, thereby increasing our future blessing and joy. Oh, where do I get that from? Did I just suck that out of my thumb? No, it's, it's in the text here, okay? It's in God's Word. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin... I like that word vermin. When I think of a vermin, I think of a bed bug. <laughs> a vermin. Kill it. And where thieves break in and steal... But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he says the word treasure, what, three different times there. So my question for you this morning is, what is your treasure? What is your treasure? What do you treasure? Well, think about that for a second, but A.W. Tozer says, your treasure is what you value the most. It's what you value the most. And you could ask yourself some questions right now, like, okay, how do I determine what I value the most? Well, what is it that you would most hate to lose? What do your thoughts turn to most frequently when you're free to think about what you will? What affords you the greatest pleasure? So you have the negative at the beginning. What is the one thing that you can't live without? That means you treasure it. Where do your thoughts go all the time? What gives you the greatest pleasure? So if you're like me, you like being with your family, right? And you like your time, right? Time is, as you grow older, your most valuable (laughs) possession is your time. Because you realize you have less of it now but there's so many things pulling at you. That time is so valuable. And you value those relationships, those people that are closest to you. You value a good meal with your family. Your pet, maybe. Maybe it's your cell phone. You see the picture there? Once you hate it, sometimes that's your family right there. <laughs> Put your phone away. So what do you value the most? So is, is this what Jesus is talking about? That picture there, is, is that what Jesus is talking about when he talks about treasures? What is he referring to here? Well, no, the treasure that he's referring to here is accumulated wealth in the form of money, jewels, and other valuables. Why? Because the word there for treasures, that's what it means. It means money. It means finances. It means how do you buy some of those things that you value and treasure? So how do I know that he's talking about money here and not being with your family and enjoying a Lions football game? How how do, how do you know that's not what he's talking about? Well, I think you have to look at the context, right? He's already talked about in Matthew chapter 6, he's already talked about giving already. When you give alms, don't do it and show everybody, look, I'm giving a lot of money. He's already talked about money. And following this passage, he's going to talk about what? Don't worry about your, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, the clothes you're going to wear. Look, I'm gonna, he's talking about how you get those things. He's talking about money. Again, the meaning of the word treasures. It means what I just told you it means. The audience that he was talking to, they're very familiar with the concept of giving and money, and that was a big topic on their minds. But really, I think the most important place to go is Luke 12, 33. So anytime you're wondering about what a passage means, you want to remember the analogy of faith, that Scripture interprets Scripture. And we want to look for other passages that relate to the passage we're looking at. And Luke chapter 12, verse 33 is that very thing. And Jesus starts out by saying, 
Do not be afraid, little flock. Don't you love how he calls them little flock? Don't be afraid. I want you to trust me. I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to rise from the dead. And if I'm going to do that for you, then will I not generously give you all things? My Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So have an eternal perspective, Jesus says. What does that eternal perspective look like? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now he's not saying don't have a house, don't have a car. He's not saying don't have a vacation with your family. He's not saying don't have a big screen TV. He's not saying don't have a cell phone. He's not saying anything. You need to be generous with your resources. If you're not giving to others, if you're not giving to the church, because you're afraid that God's not going to take care of your needs, this is what Jesus is addressing here. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. And how do we know that this is related to what Jesus is talking about now in Matthew? Well, he says, provide purses, provide money belts for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure that in heaven that will never fail. Does it sound familiar? Where no thief comes and no moth destroys For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? So you can see how this passage relates to what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6. And what he's referring to here is your financial ability, what God has given you financially. That's what he's referring to. Now, the other things can come into play, right? I'm not saying that we don't give of our time selflessly to people, knowing that God is going to bless that and remember that when we stand before him in judgment. Yes, he's going to remember that. Other places in Scripture tell us that. There's all kinds of ways you can give, but Jesus is specifically here, he's talking about, he's talking about money, right? He's talking about accumulated wealth in the form of money, jewels, and other valuables. That's the Greek dictionary term. However you have your finances, So as Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, is he speaking against the accumulation of wealth or the wealthy or private ownership? Right now, the spirit of the age among the young people is that we shouldn't have private ownership. Like, nothing belongs to you. It belongs to everybody. Okay, let me come to your house and start picking what I want. Okay, see how far that goes. Is Jesus against the accumulation of wealth or the wealthy or private ownership? No, he's not against rich people. He hung out with rich people. Rich people help finance his ministry. He's not against them. But what is he against? We'll talk about that just in a second. As Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He's talking about heart-controlling, foolish accumulation of that which will not last. He's saying there's, you, you're focused on the here and the now and accumulating those things that are going to be destroyed. It's all going to burn one day. I want you to live in such a way with an eternal perspective that when you stand before God, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest, and you are rewarded with treasures in heaven. And please don't hyper-spiritualize that. I don't know what the treasures are going to look like, but they're going to be there for those of us who are generous, that give. So Jesus is against Foolishness, living only for today, not thinking about eternity, living only for those things that are going to burn, right? So he says, 
do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's what Jesus is against. Okay, so what does Jesus want me to do with my resources? What does he want me to do? Well, Jesus wants you to invest wisely for eternity. He wants you to have an eternal perspective and to invest in your eternity. He says, don't store up on earth, but in verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There is a place where we are going to go, where we will live for eternity. And when you think about eternity, right, this is an example from Alcorn's book. He says, eternity is forever. A million years from now is a drop in the bucket to eternity. I don't know how else to take it from God's word. Eternity is eternity. So if this is eternity, forever and ever and ever, where, how much of your life could be represented on this line? So, so do you see your life? Because your life is up there on that line. Can you see it? Do you see your life on that line? It's atomically small. It is microscopically small. The life of your, your life may span, what, 80, maybe 90 years now. If you're a woman, you might get up to 100. And that's still, well, the scriptures tell us it's, it's like a vapor. It's like you go outside and you, you breathe out and the vapor, it goes up and it's gone. It's like a mist. Doesn't last half a second. That is the span of your life. And so Jesus, I don't know how that thing happened. Anyway, so Jesus says, this is your life. So you need to think like this life is that short and invest in the little bitty time that you have for eternity. You have to think with the eternal perspective. So the next question is, is how do I store up treasure for eternity? Well, Luke chapter 12, remember? Remember what he says? Sell your possessions, what? Give to the poor. Sell your possessions and Give. Sell your possessions and give to those in need, right? <laughs> Poor in need is a slippery term to define in our culture, right? Because the government provides so much money for so many people. But what does it mean to be poor? What does it mean to be in need? Let's, you have to pray about that. Have, ask God for wisdom about those who are in need or poor. But Jesus says, sell possessions. Make your finances readily available to give to others who are in need. That's what it means to store up treasure in heaven, according to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19, we'll finish with it, right? Jesus is talking to a young man who has a lot of money. This young man is very interested in spiritual things. He says, you know, basically, you know, how can I get in heaven? I'm a very obedient man. And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. As Paul writes to Timothy in Ephesus, talking to some rich people there, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. Now, can I just say something very frank? It's not just rich people that put their hope in wealth. I'm going to say this straight out. Some of the stingiest people I've ever met are some of the poorest people I've ever met. Okay? So, yes... In the context, he's talking to rich people, some of the most generous people I've ever met. 
are some of the richest people I've ever met. I had a phone conversation this past week with a guy who wants to bless our ministry and help out with something. He says, I can't, I can't outgive God, is what he said. I, I keep giving and giving away, and God keeps blessing me. Super generous man. But Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, right? Rust, moth, vermin. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Do good with your money. Whatever that good is. And I think there's a contest, I'm not going to sit here too long, but giving to the local church is a good thing to do. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. You know, when Paul condemns stealing, you know what he says? I want you to work with your hands so that you have money to give to people, to be generous. If the rich people do what I'm saying, Paul says in verse 19, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves. Sounds familiar, huh? as a firm foundation for the coming age. This eternal perspective that Jesus is talking about. Paul repeats it. And he says, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Have an eternal perspective. Don't waste your life accumulating resources and hoarding them, right? Because you can't take your treasures to heaven with you. But Randy Alcorn correctly says, but you can send them ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead if you have an eternal perspective and you're generous with your finances. This whole concept of sending it ahead, I think, uh, Kevin, how many years has it been since you preached on this? It's been 10 at least probably? Yeah, it's been a while. I think it's, 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 a, it's a great way of looking at it. You can send it ahead. He wants us to have an eternal perspective. One way that Randy Alcorn, um, one way he describes this, or he tries to help us understand this, is he talks about the Civil War, right? War between the North and the South. Did you know the Civil War was the most costly war for American lives ever fought? 635,000 men died. It surpasses World War II, World War I. So, but during the Civil War, right, you have the North against the South, and the South printed its own money. When I was a kid, I was fascinated by the Civil War. And we would go visit different uh, historical sites. And I always wanted to buy some of that money, right? They always said the, the money, it was like in, it, looked kind of, it was in envelopes and it looked kind of brown and it smelled like lemon. It was just very interesting to me, right? To hold it in my hands and look at the pictures on there. But the Confederate states in the South printed their own money. And the North had their money. Well, as the war progressed, it began to become, become clear that the North was going to win. So if you're in the South and your bank is loaded with Confederate money and you know that the war is going to be over soon and you know that your money is going to be worthless soon, what should you do? Well, you convert it all to union currency, right? And, and so that's what he says. If you're smart, what you do is you keep just enough Confederate money to live on until the war is over, but you take the rest of your money and you send it over to the north, and you convert it to union currency, so when the war is over, when that day finally comes, you have a treasure sitting there in money that you can use. This is the same 
in the same way, there is a day that's coming when every single penny that you have in every single 401k, every bar of gold, whatever you have, Christ is going to return and it's going to be worthless because you can't take that money with you. So he's saying, invest in eternity by being generous now so that when Christ comes, you'll have treasures in heaven. So Jesus is saying, we invest in the coming kingdom by giving generously, thereby increasing our future glory. Our kingdom investment is an investment what that will never, ever lose its value ever. When we have treasures in heaven, guess what? Five million years into heaven, your treasure is still worth as much as it was two million years ago. Nothing can destroy it, right? Jesus says, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, but where thieves and where thieves do not break in and steal. So this desire to invest in eternity should stir you to do good. It should stir you to invest in eternity. Just like the parable that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, this treasure, he hid it again. And then he went in his joy and he sold everything he had so that he could buy that field so that he could have that treasure. That's exactly what Jesus is speaking of. So as we look at this passage here, we have a kingdom perspective, right? And that perspective is a right perspective on eternity that will lead us into right investment of our resources. We've looked at this kingdom investment, right? That we invest in the coming kingdom by giving generously to those in need, thereby increasing our future joy. And then at the end of this section, as we invest in the coming kingdom, we increase our heart for that kingdom, right? Because Jesus says at the end of the passage, we say, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Although it's, there's some, you know, it partly applies. But what he says is, where you put your treasure, that is where your heart will be also. You've probably heard this many times that what we do with our money doesn't lie. It's a bold statement to God what we truly value. If you look at your checking account, if you look at your credit card statement, that is going to tell you what you value, what's important to you. It's a clear indicator of where your heart is. And so Jesus says, whatever you give will attract your devotion, right? If you were to start investing in an orphanage over in India, if you were to start sending money over there, guess what? You're going to start reading about orphanages in India. You're going to start praying about the orphanage in India. You're going to start having a heart for the kids in those orphanages in India because you're sending money over there. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is also. And that is what will have your devotion. That is what you're going to be devoted to. And we see that in verse 24. The destination of our investment reveals and encourages our devotion. The destination of our investment reveals and encourages our devotion. Tells us who we're devoted to. What you do with your money tells you what you are devoted to. And again, it doesn't matter how much money you have. The richest to the poor... What you do with your money money tells what you're devoted to. It's, it's amazing when I, you know, I, I work with people who are just like, have no money whatsoever, none. And I want to help them. And I'm thinking they need food. 
They need to save money for shelter. They need X and Y that I think, and, and they want a cigarette. They want the next drink. And I understand there's a lot of issues there, okay? But my point is, is that what you're devoted to, what owns your heart, will control your finances. And so Jesus says, you know, you can't have two masters. He says that. No one can serve two masters. We can try. Lord knows I've tried long enough. No one can serve two masters. Either we hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, or God and money, or God and your things. You can't serve both. Right? The great singer, if you like his voice, Bob Dylan in 1979, won the song of the year. You're going to have to serve somebody. Maybe the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You will serve somebody or something, and your finances are an indicator of that. And the story in Matthew 19 just perfectly illustrates that. This young ruler, this young man, he had money. He had lots of money. He comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, Only one who is good, and that's God. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, he says, Which ones? Right? He's like smiling. <laughs> Which commandments? Tell me. Come on, bring it. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, not commit adultery, not steal. Not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, hmm. all right, yes. I've done all these. I've kept all these, Jesus. I'm so happy. What do I lack? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, as I've read this, I've often wondered, like, so is it that he was so rich that it was like, I want to follow Jesus, but I got to be responsible and divest myself of these resources in such a way that they aren't squandered. And so, and so I've got to be a smart guy about this. I don't think that's what's being said here. I mean, I'd like to think that this ruler came, this young man came back to Jesus in repentance, having given up all his possessions. I, I hope that happened. But the way it's presented to us and why Matthew puts it where he puts us to show us what saving faith looks like leads us to believe that his money controlled him and he could not get out from under control of the mammon. Because in verse 22 we read, when the young men heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And so Jesus is saying, as we seek to follow him in this life in a sin-cursed world, seeking to obey him, fulfill the Great Commission, serve him the way that we should serve him, as we seek to follow him, we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and recognize that there is only one master, and that's Jesus Christ the Lord. We cannot have two masters, only one Lord, and we have to follow him no matter the cost and live generously along the way. We have to trust him to take care of our needs because that's where he's taking us next week. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? You say you believe I'm the Messiah. You say you believe that I'm the one who's been promised from Genesis chapter 3.15. You're saying all the right things, but do you trust me? 
Do you believe that I will take care of your next second, your next minute, your next hour? A.W. Tozer, again, is very helpful here. He says, a person of pseudo-faith or false faith will fight for his verbal creed, but refuse flatly to allow himself to get in a predicament where his future must depend upon that creed being true. You understand what he's saying here? I believe all this about God, but I'm not going to give generously and put myself in a position where I have to trust God for my next day. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? The person with pseudo-faith always provides himself with secondary ways of escape, so he will have a way out if the roof caves in. What we need badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know they must do on the last day. If you're not willing, if we're not willing, if I'm not willing to trust God for tomorrow with respect to material needs, am I really ready to stand before God on the day of judgment and trust him for my salvation through Jesus Christ? It's a matter of trust. And so Jesus says, you cannot love or serve both God and money. But you know what you can do? You can serve God with your money. By being generous. So today we've seen the right perspective, which is an eternal perspective. A right perspective on eternity will lead us to wise investment of our resources. We've seen the kind of investment that Jesus Christ wants, right? We invest in the coming kingdom by giving generously, thereby increasing our future joy and heart for that kingdom. And then we've seen the devotion that Christ wants us to have, that the destination of our investment reveals and encourages devotion to God alone, to Christ alone. And so Jesus says, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. All those things that you think you need, all those things you're wondering if, if you're going to have tomorrow, I'm going to provide those things for you, Jesus says. It'll all be given to you. I like this uh, poem here, Die to Live. It's paradoxical. Die to live, mourn to rejoice, impoverished to abound, bow down to be raised up, lose to gain, give to receive These are all part of the same truth. Whatever we give to God, he will return to us many times over for both his glory and our good. But friends, God offers us his greatest gift, and that's himself. With him comes a life full of joy and purpose. We were made for a person and a place. We were made for Jesus, and we're made for eternity. Jesus is the person, and heaven is the place. May God give us the grace to trust him and to believe that is true. Amen? All right. So we're going to sing here in a second. Uh, We're going to sing Mercies Anew. Um, And how we handle our resources and where our heart is is a struggle for all of us. And we, it's just something we work through. And sometimes we succeed and sometimes we fail. But even when we fail, God's mercies are new. Were it not for his great love, we would be consumed, Lamentation says. Could be this morning you're like the rich young ruler, and you feel like you've done everything you need to do. 
to be right with God. And the truth of Scripture is, it doesn't matter how much you do, you'll never make yourself right with God. Only Jesus can make you right with God, and it's only by coming in faith through Jesus Christ can you have eternal life. And so my prayer for you is if you haven't come to God through Christ, that you would do that this morning. So let me pray, and then we'll stand and sing mercy.